Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Duly Noted Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. And by Vistar Credit Union with locations across Gator Country. Visit ViStarCU.org and ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. Always be celebrating. This is Dooley Noted, everything Florida Gators, with your host, Pat Dooley. Okay, welcome into another edition of the Dooley Noted Podcast. Appreciate everybody for listening in, tuning in. Uh, a little bit later on the show, we'll have Chris Doring, who's going to talk um, about, uh, he was there at the game Monday night, so I wanted to get somebody who was at the game. We'll talk to him about that, and also about the Gators. Uh, obviously, um, it was a perfect ending for the SEC. I mean, it wasn't perfect because Auburn's still in the league and Mississippi State <laughs> fired their coach they played so badly, but 9-2 and two for the conference. Um, look, there is no doubt the SEC is the best conference. People want to be bashed all the time. I'm not a big believer in bowl records deciding who has the best conference, but when it's so overwhelming like it was this year, uh, it's just more um, – What's the word I'm looking for? Um, now I've gone blank on the word, but it's just uh, justific not justification. Uh, but anyway, it just it tells you more and more that the SEC is the best conference, and then the draft will come up, and they'll have the most players taken. It's where the best footballs play, let's face it. Um, the SEC winning the national championship, LSU, uh, give them credit. If you were rooting for Clemson because you hate LSU, I don't I don't really blame you. I was actually going back and forth. I ended up, as the game started, I go, yeah, I think I want Clemson. But every time LSU would do something good, I would go, yeah, Deb- now Dabo's not happy. So that, that makes me okay with it. But I'll be honest with you. With about 11 minutes to go in the game, I started flipping around watching other shows. I, I just – I had to stay up because I had to vote, and you couldn't vote till after the game. Um, it was pretty obvious what was going to happen. Uh, Clemson's a really very good team. And you know what? Ohio State is a very good team too. But there was only one super team this year, and that was LSU. Uh, I'll, I'll give myself a little credit here. I had them ranked, I think, in, the, in week five. I had them number one and never wavered on that. I could – I saw something in this team. I saw something in Joe Burrow. I saw something in those receivers. Uh, that This was an unbelievable team. You know, the funny thing is there'll, there'll be a lot of people go, well, you know, they weren't that great because their defense wasn't that good. Their defense was whatever it, it needed to be on that particular day. On the day when they didn't score a ton of points against Auburn, the defense was good enough to win the game. When If, you, if, you, if they needed to give up 20 – eight and could win with 28 then that's what they did they won with 20 they won they they if they knew the offense was going to get in the 40s they might give up 28 I don't think they always had to play with a sense of urgency and sometimes that's hard for a defense you give up a lot of points because you're you know your offense is going to come back and get it uh are they the best team of all time I don't know you know we're we're talking uh about some great teams in the past and that went undefeated. Uh, is it easier now or harder? It's probably harder, and yet the players are um, have more going for them. They have more that's that is being offered to them in terms of uh, getting a um, you know getting the stipend and getting better uh, care and better nutrition and all that stuff, better training, uh, but. That Nebraska team in 95 was ridiculous. There were others that were ridiculous. Uh, you're just it, – it's a great it's a great topic for radio. It's a great topic for this – for for the podcast. Uh, 
but they're one of the greatest teams I've ever seen, and they're probably the best offense I've ever seen. I've talked about this before. It's a perfect storm of a quarterback who got it figured out, became great, talented, physically talented, mentally talented, never had a bad game, great offensive line, gave him time, and when they didn't, when you blitzed him, he found a way anyway, and an unbelievable group of receivers. I mean, including their tight end, uh, Randy Moss's son, who ended up having two touchdowns in the game. So this is a great team. Here's the thing that stood out to me, and I actually went back and looked it up because uh, it felt like LSU had the ball so many times and they did they had 16 no they had 16 possessions and Clemson had 15 okay so they both had a lot of possessions but the trouble is you better do something if you get 15 possessions against LSU you better score in the high 30s or low 40s you can't be at 25 because they're going to score if you give them 16 possessions you're going to have to outscore them it's going to have to be 48 45 or something and they didn't. They weren't able to do that. Uh, I, I like that Clemson team a lot. I love Trevor Lawrence. I think ETN is, runs harder than anybody I saw all year. Uh, I, I think he's going to be a great pro. I, I kept saying to my wife, we're sitting there watching the game, I go, Karen, because she's, you know, she's into the game but not into the game. She's also doing some other things. In fact, I think at one point she was cooking for something for my daughter. And, and I said, Karen, you got to watch this. All, almost all these guys starting are going to be in the NFL. That's how good the football was. When you look at that team, that Clemson team, that, that is a really good team. It's one of the better teams we've seen in a championship game. But it wasn't the best. It wasn't even close to the best, in my opinion. I think they could play – I think Clemson – and LSU could play 10 times and probably LSU would win nine, maybe eight. They might win all 10. But LSU and almost everybody, it's the same thing. They were a unique team in my mind. Uh, so we'll see where it all goes from here for them, um, especially at the quarterback spot. You know, do they get a grad transfer? Um, you know, Derek King, maybe he goes, hey, you know, one reason I got in the portals, I watched LSU. Now, he did get in the portal, I think, the night before the game. But one reason he, maybe he did is I've watched this team. I want to go there. I want to I want to learn that. Now, for him, Joe Brady's not going to be there. Joe Brady said all along, I'm, I want to be here as long as I can, as they'll have me. I love it here. I'm never going anywhere. Uh, we won? The game's over? Okay, I'm leaving. That's, you know, that's fine. I mean, I, under, I, I think when you are – um, approaching a game like this, the biggest game of your life if you're Joe Brady, right? And you um, you don't want your guys to have in the back of the mind, man, this, this is going to be his last year, really? He's going to the NFL? You want them to think, hey, he's going to be here next year too, and especially when you got guys like Jamar Chase and um, uh, the other kid, Terrace. Um, God, I can't remember his last name. Anyway, who had a great game. They, they, but look, they, when you got four receivers like that, now Florida had that this year. They weren't quite that level. I I would say there's a there's a real argument between Alabama and LSU who had the best four receivers. A lot of NFL people will tell you that it was it was Alabama. Um, I I would argue it was LSU, and Florida was like a notch below in terms of big plays, being able you know, to make big plays. Um. But now here's the thing they have to deal with. No, no Brady. And, and, and I will say this. There's a part of me that wonders if Joe Brady got too much credit for what they did. I mean, um, you know, Steve Ensminger obviously did a really good job. The, the reason I think people were so in, enthralled with Joe Brady is because LSU never was that team before. They never were this team that you could not stop. Offensively, they had that with that kind of a passing attack. They'd never seen that out of an LSU team before. I mean, I don't care if they had Burt Jones or Zach Mettenberg, you never saw that. But now you saw it and you went, well, it's because they brought in Joe Brady. But I mean, those guys were kind of connected at the hip and they knew what each other were doing. 
you know, maybe Joe Brady got more credit than he deserves, but we'll see what he does at Carolina as their offensive coordinator. And if, if they start lighting things up, man, maybe this may be the next great coach in college or in the NFL too. So, uh, but they also lose a lot. All their juniors pretty much went out. All the ones that you thought might all did, all declared. Many of them had no choice after Odell Beckham Jr. was handing them money on the sideline, which was disgusting, in my opinion. And I know, I, in fact, I saw LaMichael P. Ryan tweeted, well, I'm glad these guys are getting getting money on the sideline because we're, we work basically as slaves, which, come on, man. <laughs> that's that's taking it way too far. Um, I don't think slaves have ever been given all the stuff that you're given as a football player and fed every meal you've ever had. And, um, look, I get – the inequities of coaches' salaries versus what college football players get. I understand that. But, no, slaves, no. Don't, don't go there. But there were a lot of people saying, you know, hey, look, these guys are going pro winning. But it's a bad look for college football. And they – now, LSU first said it was just pretend money, <laughs> which clearly it wasn't. You could see. all you'd, You could identify what a 20 looks like. Um, and now they're investigating it. Well, what are they going to do? Ban him from the sidelines? They're going to ban one of their most famous players from the sidelines or something? No, nothing's going to happen here. And probably nothing should happen. It was just a bad look. You know? It, 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 it But it was what it was. So I'm not going to get in, spend too much time worrying about that. Um, so now it's over. College football. And we're going to talk a lot more basketball going forward. And, you know, I was talking to a couple of people who came up to me at the basketball game Tuesday night and are big fans of the podcast. And I go, yeah, don't leave me. In fact, I talked to this one young man. I said, don't leave me now. The football's over. I mean, we're still going to talk some football, and but we're going to get more into basketball. And I'm going to talk more basketball here after Florida's win uh, Tuesday night. But, um, you know, Football is still it, – it, it's what you guys want. I know that. We're still going to be able to talk about it. We'll have some topics that we'll get into and continue. Maybe have um, some former players on, you know, like – well, Chris Doring, though, is more – Chris Doring, as much as I love him as a football player, I, I like to have Chris on because he's really good at being a broadcaster. And he knows the game and he, he's in the middle of it all. So Chris had a rough flight. His flight got canceled. He ended up having to fly to Jacksonville and driving home last night. But um, it's great that he'll join us in, in just a bit. Um, so, final poll came out. Um, I, again, I had to stay up and vote on it. Um, the game went way too long. Look, I don't. Here's what I don't. I mean, look, we we talked it all a lot, a lot about the ridiculousness of the 16 day wait between the semifinals and the championship games. And like I've said. Only the college football powers that be could screw up something as perfect as the playoff system we have now. And when you say, it's not perfect, you need to go to eight. Okay, but we got to four, and even then they screwed it up. They've screwed it up, and they screwed it up uh, Monday night. The game shouldn't be – if the game is going to be an 8 o'clock start, have your pregame. You're going to have hours and hours of pregames on all the networks – at 8.03, let's kick it off instead of kicking it off at about 8.18, which I think they did. Uh, but that's what happens a lot and, and with college football. And I know it's all about TV. TV gets – if TV wants to have commercials between every play, then you'll see that because they're going to – you have no choice. They're paying the freight. But that game to be to, – to go as long as it did and get over as late as it did, it's just, it's just dumb. It's just dumb. What, you know, the Super Bowl is on a Sunday, I know. But it's a 6 o'clock start, and the reason is people have to go to work the next day. So even if it goes long with all the commercials and the halftime show, what's well, it, 9.30? Maybe close to 10? It's not the end of the world. It's not getting over at midnight. But it is what it is and what it probably will always be because – they run the show. Uh, so anyway, the final poll comes out, and uh, I had the Gators sixth, but I had Oklahoma 
fifth, and I thought I was being outlandish by putting dropping Oklahoma behind Georgia, even though um, you know they both had bad losses. In fact, Georgia's was worse, right? Georgia's loss was worse than Oklahoma's. Oklahoma lost at Kansas State. Oklahoma, uh, Georgia lost at home against South Carolina team that won four games. Um, their their other loss was getting blown out by LSU. They both got blown out by LSU. Um, but because Oklahoma's loss was fresher, I think a lot of us and 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 Georgia won its bowl game against a Baylor team that Oklahoma beat. In fact, they beat them twice, right? So. Um, but I think because it was fresher, we all kind of said, hey, this is um, – I, I think George is better in Oklahoma. And I'll, I'll give you my reason. But first, we have to take a short break. We'll do that. I, I'm a little bit late for my break, but we're going to take a little break, and then I'm going to come back and tell you why, in the end, I put George ahead, and apparently so did everybody else. You're listening to the Duly Noted Podcast at Gator Sports. Just going to run this – dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. At ViStar, we believe in better, especially in helping build a better financial future for our members. So we've reviewed our offerings from the ground up. We've lowered or eliminated over half our fees and enhanced our already competitive rates, saving members more than a million dollars this year, in addition to the millions we save them every year. If you believe that saving money is better, join ViStar. We never forget that it's your money. All loans subject to approval, insured by NCUA. No one gets you ready to celebrate like the team at ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. You want great prices in a giant selection? They've got it. You need convenient locations, online ordering, and fast service? ABC's got you covered. Get a jump on this month's deals at abcfws.com. Visit any of their 123 Florida stores today for free samples or get expert advice from their beer, wine, or spirits experts. Don't forget a cigar in their walk-in humidor. ABC is Florida family-owned and operated since 1936. ABC always be celebrating okay so here's here was my thinking finally i said look georgia or oklahoma who do i put four who do i put five I said if they're playing tomorrow who would you pick i said dad pick the dogs i i would pick georgia because i think their defense would throttle them They'd find a way uh, off to score enough points because Oklahoma's defense is nothing special. And so that's why I went with Georgia. But, again, so did everybody else. Not everybody, but a lot of people did. Uh, in fact, I give my fellow voters and myself credit for um, not just saying the four playoff teams are one, two, three, four. So I had Oklahoma fourth or fifth. And and then uh, and Georgia fourth, and then Florida six, and Oregon seven. And again, the Florida Oregon battle was tough. We talked about that last week's show. You know, I, I ended up going with Florida uh, six, and Florida ends up six. So that the, the the point is, the Gators end up sixth in the country. Eleven wins, sixth in the country. Last year, ten wins, seventh in the country. Pretty good. That's pretty darn good. Let's well, not where you want to be. But it's a lot closer to where you want to be. And that's the point. It's not You're not always going to get there right away. I know Urban Meyer did it in his second year. I get it. I know Steve Spurrier won the SEC in his second year. There were different worlds then. It's a little bit harder now, I think, especially the way uh, teams have started to recruit Florida even better doing a better job and that's where Florida's got to do the best they can but you're not going to keep all the great players out of Clemson and Alabama and LSU and and Georgia you're just not going to do it so I think it's harder to win now um 
but what what Florida's been able to do, what Dan Mullen's been able to do, is certainly get this program closer to elite. They're not elite yet. They're really good. It's a really good program. But it's not quite elite. And I wrote this column in Sunday's paper, and I'm sure some of you read it, maybe all of you read it. I hope all of you read it, actually, about why this feels different two years under Mullen versus two years under McIlwain. Because if, if you did the blind resume, you could make an argument that McIlwain's two years were better because Florida won two Eastern Division championships. As we all know, Georgia wasn't Georgia then. Georgia's Georgia now. That Georgia team was, wasn't anything special. That program wasn't anything special at the time. They went with Faton Bata at quarterback as a surprise move that didn't surprise anybody in that one game. So anyway, the point being, um, you could look line up the blind resumes and they're about they're about even at best, but it feels so much different. And I think with Coach Mullen, everybody is fired up and excited about next year. And next year is a huge year for Florida, huge. I mean. Nine and three is going to be a real disappointment next year. And, and I don't, I'm not saying they're a nine and three team. I think they're a 10 and two team. And when I say 10 and two, that means if you get the ball to bounce your way in a game and, or pull off a game, you know, maybe on the road, uh, get a win, doesn't matter how you get it, but you get it, then you're maybe 11 and one. You know, maybe you're in the playoff. Maybe you're playing for the SEC championship, and I think the potential is there for that. I like their roster a lot this year. I didn't like it last year, and they overcame the deficiencies they had on the roster with all the guys entering the, the transfer portal and other guys leaving. Um, but this, the bottom line is, this is a huge year, and here's part of it is because of the schedule, which is fairly soft, non-conference wise. You know, like I, like I think Ole Miss is going to be better than they were. In fact, I know they're probably going to be better than they were under Matt Luke. But I, they're still Ole Miss. I mean, they can't beat Florida. But I'll take I'll take your chances with them versus playing Auburn last year, even though it was at home. And then, um, and then you have, um, you know, FSU is going to be a little bit tougher. But now LSU probably not as tough. A game, even though the game will be, well, the game will be here. Well, that's good news. Um, and they're not going to be, they're not going to be the same team they were. This, what you saw, might have, might. I'm not saying it's a one year wonder, but it was a kind of a perfect storm. And next year, they're going to still be really good. And they got to figure it out a quarterback, and they got to get a guy in there to maybe they go to the NFL and get another guy, young guy who knows concepts and Steve Ensminger has been educated by Joe Brady on, on how to get guys open but they aren't going to have Joe Brady I'm, I'm sorry Joe Burrow and that's a big factor and those receivers most of them are gone but they still got good ones Terrace Marshall and um, obviously uh, Jamar Chase who was a, the the Blitnikoff winner they, they, they still got plenty of good players in fact their roster probably is still better in Florida slightly I still think Alabama, Georgia, and and LSU have a little bit better players in Florida, but not good and not they're not so far better than Florida that you don't think Florida can beat them, right? Does that make any sense? Like I think when Dan Mullen got here, the differences in the rosters were were a lot bigger. There was no question, but it's it's tightened up. Am I making any sense? I don't, I don't know. Anyway, so all all the uh, polls came out, and uh, but another another reason this is a big year for Florida, and and somebody brought this up the other day, is that they get Alabama on the schedule next year. So you want this may be like next year maybe a little bit more of a struggle. Um, this is the year to do it. If you want to do it, you have to go to FSU. You have to go to Tennessee. Everybody's new girlfriend is Tennessee. Um, in fact, they are ranked in a lot of the way too early polls. And the other team is North Carolina, which I, I'm i not sure that North Carolina – what he did 
Mac Brown did was really good this year. They went seven and six. They open up with UCF and Orlando and uh, Auburn in Atlanta. Okay, <laughs> that could easily be zero and two. Um, so I'm I'm not sold on them yet. Um, I'm a little more sold on A and M than some people because again I look at the schedules before I. I make my way too early predictions, and again, you, it's easy to make way too early predictions because you don't have to live with them, right? All you do is uh, here they are, and then I got. But then my actual AP vote is going to make it be totally different because you do have to wait and see what happens. You know, like today, Najee Harris says he's coming back, which surprised me, and I, I think Alabama is going to be the team to beat next year. Clemson with Trevor because of Trevor Lawrence and because of the way they recruited and because of the way they won and because they don't play in a real conference, they're going to be in the number one pick in the preseason. There's no question in my mind. And I think number two, I think a lot of people are going to look at Alabama, Saban's revenge. And he's, you know, if you saw him on the, I guess it was a halftime show. I didn't see it. I saw the, I saw it on Twitter what, what he said. And he said, basically, quit asking me about LSU. They beat us once in seven years. Quit asking me about Clemson. They finally beat us last year. Quit asking me about these guys. I want to talk about something else. I don't want to talk about other teams. It was kind of – that was that's the Saban I love. I love angry Saban. I don't like humbled Saban. I like the angry Saban. And, man, when I saw that, I went, uh-oh, he's back. He's back and he's mad. He's not going to take it anymore. They're going to be – and they got hurt in the juniors going out, but not as bad as they could have, not as bad as LSU did. And I tell you what, Alabama's going to be really good next year. They're the, they're, they might be my pick when I, when I do my poll, for real. I might have by then be convinced to make them the number one team. Um, so we'll see what happens with all that. Um, I will give uh, the Pac-12 refs missed some calls, obviously. The one where Edwards Hilaire touched the ground out of bounds. I don't know how you don't catch that in replay. Um, but replay is a very flawed system. Let's just leave it at that. But there's a, there was a lot of talk about whether this should be a flagrant one and a flagrant two on targeting because of Clemson losing their middle linebacker, um, Skalski, you know, I would have, yeah, I, and I think that was a good example where you go, look, we're going to give you a 15-yard penalty. We're not kicking you out of the game. So if you had that as a penalty, like targeting, if you're target, there, there's a difference between targeting and hitting a guy with the crown of your helmet, you know, and it might catch his his helmet as well. And I'm not saying that it wasn't. I'm just saying it, it, it would be great if there was a discussion. But here's the problem you have. Is that remember when, remember when holding used to be um, – there were or no, a personal foul. Was a personal foul. There was a five-year penalty and a 15-year penalty. And finally they decided I – mean, I think it was face masks. Yeah. And, and uh, finally they decided, eh, it's too hard to, figure, to differentiate. Just make them all 15. And I think that's kind of where they are with targeting. Yeah, it's working. Guys are doing less targeting. And I agree, you want to take targeting out of the game. You don't want people targeting other players. Totally agree with that. But sometimes it's accidental, incidental. It's really not that bad. Technically, it might be considered targeting. But it's it's really not that bad. And maybe you could do it. I don't know. if I, Look, I... I've been saying all all year. I think the NCAA and college football should go to a next another official on the field. the The miss pass interference calls are just too numerous. And I know, look, they miss them in the in the NFL badly. They're awful. It's like they're worse in college. But it, it feels like if you got another guy out there, maybe it would be a little bit. They would do a better job. But there is so much grabbing and holding now with DBs on receivers, that it's almost like you you almost have to say, we're not going to call it anymore, and um, or we're going to call it every time you put your hand on them. Because it's now open to uh, interpretation and, and also whether I saw it or not. 
I think, I think another set of eyes would help you see it better. I don't know. We'll see. Um, all right. I'm going to get to college basketball, I promise. And we'll talk about that. Also, the scandal that's rocked the baseball world. All that and more. But right now, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be joined by Chris Doring, the man, the myth, the legend, one of my best friends. I, I love having Chris on the show, and we'll have him on. And uh, right now, we got to take a break. You're listening to the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. Zaxby's taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or visit Zaxby's.com. All right, welcome back to the Duly Noted Podcast. Always a great pleasure when we bring in my good friend Chris Doring. And I wanted to talk to somebody who was at the game. You were better than at the game. You were on the field. Did you get any of the Odell Beckham Jr. money that he was passing out? I didn't get any cash, but I almost got my first reception from Joe Burrow. I don't know if you didn't <laughs> obviously didn't see me on the sideline, but twice in the night, I think he targeted me on the sideline. One time, short hopped me and it bounced over my head, and the second time, it was right at me. I didn't do a very good job of coming back to the ball because somebody stepped in front of me, but I, I could have easily had my first reception in the uh, in the in the national championship game this year, man. Yeah, but uh, you played. Did you ever play a game in the Superdome? Played three of them there, man. We, we that was that ninety four. Yeah, well, we played there ninety four. Played there ninety three. I guess I only played in, in two of them because ninety one I was redshirted. But um, well, I was, was I'm trying to think if you ever played there. played there as a pro. As a pro, I'm trying to think. Did I play there as a pro? Um, I don't remember if I did or not. I'm not sure, but uh, it's a, it's a, it, the, the upgrades have made it considerably more nice than it was yeah. when we played there, particularly. The uh, the turf that's on the field. You remember how hard that turf oh. used to be. That's uh, it was brutal. Well, when they were showing in the pregame and they were showing the turf, I go, "Is are, is this the Superdome? I, this yeah. doesn't look like the Superdome. It looks something like something really nice." But uh, I remember the first time I, I was there, I was covering a JU basketball game, and I couldn't believe they were serving hurricanes on the on the on the <laughs> on the floor. So you could get a hurricane. I didn't, of course, being a responsible journalist. But Yeah, of course you didn't. Yeah, I, Here's the thing, though. I mean, New Orleans folks, they know how to do it right. I mean, you know, every time I was walking out of a bar, I was trying to finish up my drink. They're like, no, nah, you can take it with you. I mean, you're walking yeah. down the streets with cocktails. You know, the fact that they have a drive-up daiquiri place is a little bit messed up. But, I mean, I, I, they, they, they defer to having a good time more than anything. So I, I, I strongly believe that that is the best city for hosting any sort of big sporting event. And I'll tell you this, Pat, I think, you know, that was always the destination for all of us in the SEC. When in the conference championship, meant you got a berth to New Orleans to go to the Sugar Bowl. And I think it's been devalued a little bit, unfortunately, by the, the, the playoffs sure. and the fact that the Sugar Bowl now is more times or not, it's a consolation prize for the loser of the SEC championship game. So hopefully that bowl status can, uh, can, can regain some of its uh, past glory. Yeah, I think when, when you have – the championship game or even a playoff game. Uh, although when you have a playoff game, you don't have the bowl game. But when you have the championship game, the the actual bowl game, I, I, I saw the Georgia ticket was one of the easiest to get for Georgia Baylor. Uh, but, yeah. but yet down at uh, at the Orange Bowl, because they didn't have the championship game, they had a great crowd for that game because yeah. uh, I think it does work that way. Well, you, you watch this team with your own eyes on Saturday or on Monday night. It feels like Saturday night. but yeah. um, and, and I watch them, obviously, on on TV. Uh, I've been watching them all year. I, I actually had LSU at number one in week five and, and kept them mm-hmm. there the whole year. Uh, you could see there was something special about them. What, why do you think – they're so good. Man, I, I think it is the perfect confluence of events and people coming together at the right time. And it really re- reminds me a lot of what we did with Coach Spurrier in the early 90s. Um, it was a revolutionary, creative kind of offense. It was something different that, that nobody in the SEC had seen before. It was the existing pieces and the supple, the, 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 um, the people that came after that uh, that fit really well into the offense. It was a quarterback, a couple quarterbacks that really knew how to how to utilize the, the weapons around them, and it's just so many different options that it, it, it's impossible for for teams to take one thing away because they'll hit you with that counter punch. And, and you saw it from LSU all season long. I think the thing that stood out to me the most, Pat, is that you look at the efficiency with which that offense ran from from week one. 
I just kept waiting for the inevitable off game or even off quarter. Uh, you never saw it. I mean, it was a, it was as precise and accurate and, and efficient as it ever was. Been. And if anything, it got better and better as the season wore on. They never had that bad off game. And I think a lot of that's due to Joe Burrow. He really understood what he was what he was doing in that system. But more importantly, I think being the son of a defensive coordinator, I think his exposure to defenses and, and schemes and and coverages and everything else throughout his entire life made it easier for him to understand what he was seeing, made it easier for, easier for him to, to study opposing teams. And he makes quick decisions, gets the ball out of his hands, and, and does it with great accuracy. And I think that that compounded with his ability to slide in the pocket, his feet, where he can buy himself a little extra time. It happened time and time again. I think he got sacked five times. They could have had him ten times. And he made plays with his legs that allowed him – to, to gain yards in some cases, but more importantly, as a former receiver, I love guys that scramble with their eyes down the field, looking for a guy that he can uncover and, and give him that extra second to get away from coverage in the in the secondary, which he does really well. Yeah, we were just talking actually uh, in the office about who would you take if Trevor Lawrence was coming out? Who would you take with the first pick? And I said, look, I think Joe Burrow is going to be a special player in the NFL because of just what you're talking about. His ability yeah. to move around the pocket, find and, and elude people. I mean, he's almost, you know, like Lamar Jackson like in that regard with a better arm and a better better accuracy. Uh, I I don't think there's any doubt he had the best season in the history of, of college football. No doubt about it. I and you you could say maybe he's not the best quarterback of all time in college football because it was only a, a one-year sample size and the jump from 55% completion last year to 76% completion percentage this year. It, it just It's amazing that all of those people were there. And, and, and Pat, you know, I, I'm the ultimate underdog story, so maybe I appreciate perseverance more than, than the next person. But, you know, Coach O, Get, having a, a, a terrible first-time head coaching tenure at Ole Miss and not getting the job at USC after being an interim coach there that had some success. Joe Burrow being cast off from Ohio State, not being wanted by Nebraska twice despite wanting to go there. Clyde Edwards-Alaire being undersized and unrecruited uh, until late. Uh, Jordan Jefferson, or excuse me, Justin Jefferson being an add-on into that class. I mean, so many of these guys played with chips on their shoulders because they were overlooked at one point in time in their life. And I can tell you firsthand, that's the greatest motivator. Uh, as opposed to guys that are told how great they are their entire lives, these guys had to fight for everything. And that's why I think you never saw them relax all the way through uh, from week one through the 15th game of the season Monday night. Yeah, you know, just what you were saying, I heard somebody say this the other day and I hadn't even thought about it, but you kept waiting for them to have a bad game where, yeah. where all of a sudden Burrow throws three picks, like, Testaverde against Penn State that year in the in the championship game, yep. something like that, and it just it just never happened. Now, my, my my fear was it was going to happen on Monday night, and then they come out there, they get the terrible field position early, you know, they're struggling offensively, some guys dropping, they just didn't look in sync, and I was like, oh, here we go, finally, the worst time they could possibly have a bad night, and all of a sudden they just they figure it out. I mean, yeah. remember Auburn gave them a hard time with that three one seven that Kevin Steele threw at him. Uh, in Baton Rouge, uh, you, you saw them struggle um, early in, in, uh, in, in points in some other games, but they always did a good job of regrouping, figuring out what defenses were doing, and finding a way to be successful despite you know maybe not seeing some of that stuff before. So, is this the best team of all time in college football, or do we need a little? Do we need a little space? Do we need to, to let it? sink in a little bit more now obviously you played against one of the best teams of all time yeah. in 95 yeah. in nebraska that that still is hard to beat they just physically beat beat teams up and that 01 miami team was unbelievable and you know of course if if espn was doing it there'd be nobody from the last 30 years in it uh because <laughs> apparently they don't realize there's been football in the last 30 years after seeing their top 150 players no danny werfel excuse me yeah. Excuse me. Uh, I don't know how you win a Heisman Trophy and you don't uh, make that list. But I'll, I'll say this, Pat. I've always considered that Nebraska team to be the best in college football history. I mean, obviously getting an up, up close and personal taste of how good they were that night. Um, the, the size and physicality and speed of that team, uh, not only the first string, but the second and third strings was what amazed me so much. But after seeing what LSU has done this entire season, seeing them in person the last three ball games, 
this is a different era where you got to play 15 games to win it all. You got to play a, a, a playoff. Uh, you know, they, down the stretch, they bludgeoned Georgia, beat the hell out of Oklahoma, and then beat a team that had won 29 games in a row handily, taking down the, the reigning and defending national champion. I don't know that anybody has a better resume. Seven top 10 victories this year. The resume yeah. speaks for itself, but the style in which they won these games, Pat. There was never a two-minute situation at the end of a ball game, offensively or defensively, where they needed to score or get a stop in order to win. That tells you how much they were in control of these ball games all year long. Yeah, I think there was only twice all year that, that their fans were nervous, and once was early in this Clemson game, and the other was the third quarter of the Florida game. When the yeah, game was- it, 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 that was the biggest thing, Pat, and I've said this time and time again. The offense for LSU puts an immense amount of pressure on the opposing not only the opposing defense but more so on the opposing offense Mm -hmm. because when you have the football you have to match serve you have to score touchdowns you can't kick field goals and when florida went down and had that empty possession in the end zone i think they threw an interception down there that was the 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 straw that kind of turned it towards lsu because again they got the football back and they scored all of a sudden they win by 14 points but i thought florida played LSU as well as anybody did in the entire country this year. Yeah, before I let you go, I want to talk about the Gators and obviously what Dan's been able to do to get back-to-back rankings in the top seven in the country to win 10 games in in two straight years, 21 wins. And, of course, the the game against Virginia wasn't to everyone's liking because the defense didn't didn't play great, but they won. And that's what he keeps doing is winning and where you see this program right now. I mean, I, I see this program, I said it the other night, I was in the Superdome on Monday night on uh, ESPNU Radio, uh, and we were talking about who some of the teams could be next year that could be the, the next LSU, putting themselves in a position to play in their first college football playoff. I think it's Florida. I mean, Florida went from 4-7 and seven to 10 wins in, 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 in Dan Mullen's first year to 11 wins last year. The recruiting is is, uh, is is been there the last couple of years. If they can hold on to those guys before spring practice, that would be preferable this year. But I think the development, the talent that he now has access to, and coupled with the, the, the scheming, I don't know that I've ever seen a, a coach, a coaching staff, that's able to cover up deficiencies and maximize the skill on the roster as well as Dan Mullen and his assistants. The fact that they've won some of these games the last couple of years, beating LSU and Mississippi State last season, being able to go and do some of the things this year where their only losses were to, to Georgia and LSU. I mean, to me, this is a team that's on the brink of breaking through, and I think they believe, and that's one of the biggest things, and they have mm-hmm. probably one of the top five strength and conditioning coaches in the entire uh, college football ranks and Nick Savage. What he does with those guys is amazing, and I think that's why you're seeing some of these guys make the kind of money they are and, and, and why Dan Mullen valued bringing Nick Savage from uh, Starkville as much as he did. He is Chris Doring. You see him all over the place on TV, radio. He does it all. He's the king of all media, I think. <laughs> I don't know if I think it's been used before, but I appreciate the comparison because I think you and I both love Howard Stern, right? That's exactly right. Uh, well, I appreciate your time. we got to get a break, and we'll come back with more on the Duly Noted Podcast here on Gatorsports.com. Zaxby's taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or visit Zaxby's.com. Okay, let's talk a little Gator basketball here on um, the Duly Noted Podcast. Uh, obviously, Saturday night was an embarrassment. You know, I asked I asked uh, Andrew Nemar, I said, were you guys embarrassed Saturday night? He said, eh, a little. Yeah, well, I was. <laughs> I was embarrassed to have that UF uh, diploma up on my wall because that was bad. But I kept telling myself once I calmed down from it, Look, college basketball makes no sense this year. None whatsoever. So just keep watching the games and see how it all goes through. Gators turn around, play great defense against Ole Miss. Now Ole Miss missing their best player. I mean, I don't think they ever had a, really had a chance. They played hard, but it didn't do them any good. Um, and again, Saturday, they're going to play a really good Auburn team. Uh, that's right now undefeated going into tonight's game with with Alabama, which is kind of a pick 'em game because it's at Alabama and Alabama's got the talent 
to beat them and wouldn't be surprised because it's a crazy, crazy basketball season. I Nobody can sit here and go, I know who's going to be in the Final Four. Give me one team that you know is going to be in the Final Four. You can't do it. You know, the Baylor team is coming in here in two weeks is ranked number one according to the net rankings. Who knows whether they end up – they even get to the uh, – you know, to the lead eight or the sweet 16 because everybody seems to have flaws and it just, it's a topsy turvy basketball season. And that, the, that sounds like it's going to be great. You know what I mean? When we get to the postseason, like it's going to be crazy and wild. And I hope so. But for Florida, they got the win one easily. It was a very comfortable win. It was a drag of a game. It just felt like it would never end guys doing, Replay reviews on whether who touched the ball last with a minute to go in a 19-point game. You need to get over yourselves. You need to just give give the other team the ball. That's fine. Give them the ball. In fact, give it to them on the next play, too. That's fine. They're not going to come back from 19 down with a minute to go. Um, you know, Keontae Johnson, again, played like I like to see him play. He is really the glue of this basketball team. And... Um, they're a, they're still a strange team. They still, I think, part of the problem with this team, and one reason sometimes they play so bad, is they don't have that energy. Now we saw, and I'm not saying they don't play hard. I'm just saying that that click where okay, we got to click it on, guys. They don't always, they always can't do. They they turn the engine sometimes, and it's like won't go. And I think it's in the personalities and maybe in, even in Mike White's personality. You could argue that. He's not a jump on him, jump on the guys kind of guy. And part of that reason, he said, is he needs to be more patient because it is such a new team. It's a young team with a, their, their best, arguably best player and best known player is a, um, in his first year in Kerry Blackshear. So, um, you know, Mike White gets his 120, did it in four more games than it took Billy Donovan to get there. Uh, Billy didn't inherit as good a team as Mike did. Mike talked about this. It was I thought it was really interesting on Tuesday night, talked about how he regrets the first team. That that first team, he he just couldn't get it out of them, and they were they were better than they sh- than the record showed. Now after that, I think they've been about what their talent level's been right about where they should be. I think the, the Elite Eight team was really talented. They were good, and they got all the way to the Elite Eight. Now, I know it took a crazy shot, but they should have won that game in regulation. I think there's a point here. I don't know what it is, but Mike White got, got his 100 to win, and we'll just see. We'll see going forward what happens. Florida right now in the net rankings is 46. That probably isn't getting you in. But there are so many opportunities ahead. It starts Saturday. Next Saturday, it's Baylor. You still got games with LSU and Arkansas and Kentucky. And, you know, it, they're, they're going to have to win their way in. And they don't have to do anything ridiculous like beat Auburn and Baylor back-to-back, even though they're both home games. They but you split those two games, that's going to be huge come Selection Sunday. If you've got a win over Xavier and a win over Auburn – or a win over Baylor on your resume, it's going to be a big, big part of letting you, uh, getting you where you need to go. Uh, so we just got to kind of wait and see with this because it is a weird year. Look at this: Missouri can't shoot a lick. Right? They go, they play Florida. Florida doesn't play defense. They give up ninety-one points. Missouri makes everything. They cannot miss. They turn around Tuesday night, go on the road, play Mississippi State team. It's you know pretty mundane, average team. They score 45. They make three three pointers. It's just the way it is in college basketball this year. All right. Um, and we'll talk a lot more, as I said. In fact, I was going to have Mark Wise on today, but he had some, he's out at the Arkansas game and was going to talk to Musselman. And so uh, I'm going to try to get him on next week. I love talking basketball with Mark because I learn so much every time I talk to him. But I do want to get into – I'm going to get into some more things. I know we're going to go long again. I know some of you said, keep going longer. We love it. So um, 
I want to talk about the scandal that's rocked baseball. Of course, uh, both um, AJ Hinch and Alex Cora got fired. They the baseball came down on them hard, suspended them. They got fired. It'll be interesting to see if they what they do in terms of coming back because you know. Somebody pointed out, you know, A. Rod was able to come back. He's on TV all the time now. It's great. Uh, yeah, well, he, they had to go through baseball to get that approved, that they that for ESPN and Fox. But I don't know that baseball would approve these guys being on TV. In fact, I don't know that anybody wants them on TV right now. You guys cheated. Now, in the case of the Astros manager, it was it was uh, something he protested, but he, not enough. You know what I mean? Like, at some point, you've got to go to the media and say, look, here's what we're doing. And I know this may cost us some kind of suspensions or whatever, but I I can't live with something. Like, it's like if you were, if you witnessed a crime and, and you saw this crime being committed several times and over and over, and you said, I hate this. I'm going to try to even stop it. But I'm not going to tell anybody about it. That's where you lose. You lose the battle. With Cora, let us not forget who was accused. What what school? Let me think. What school was accused of stealing signs electronically in college baseball? What school would that have been? I think that was Miami. In Miami, they had they had they never lost at home. They won every regional at home. They always got regionals at home. They always ended up in the College World Series. And a lot of people believe it's because they were stealing signs and that was part of it. It wasn't the only reason. They had great players, but that there was some sign stealing. Mike Martin, the FSU coach, accused them of that. Uh, everybody talked about it. Florida coaches, every Florida coach I've talked to has talked about it. And what they had was a setup where in their locker like in the home dugout, they had this great, unbelievable locker room. You know, you could go in there and cool down in between innings and stuff. And that apparently is where they stored their equipment that, you know, again, I don't know this, but everybody says that that's what they did to steal signs. And, of course, Alex Cora, who was kind of behind the Houston sign-stealing thing, played at Miami. All right, so... In fact, I was. We were talking about this yesterday. Miami notoriously, in a three-game series, would win the first game, and I'm talking about in, re, in super regionals, and lose the second game because they had to be in the visiting dugout and then win the third game back in the home dugout. There was a track record there, um, but at any rate, it, it it brings up the when is when are you cheating and when are you not cheating? And to me. If you're stealing signs because you're reading them, you're reading what it got, what the third base coach is, is signaling in, oh, they're going to bunt here. They're going to bunt. Everybody get ready for the bunt. There's, I have no problem with that. Rick Eckstein was one of the great sign stealers of all time. But if you're doing it electronically, totally different. It's like the difference between, hey, I read that guy's lips and they're running draw play here. Okay. Or if you're the, if you're the Patriots and you're videoing it. Video and signals, and then play, figuring out what they're doing. There's, it's, it's a difference between if you can just see it. Like for example, I remember Andrew Jones was up playing the Mets. It's, I think it's a game seven. He's the baser loaded, and Kenny Rogers was pitching. Is this? I, I may be totally off, but this is the way I remember it. Not, not the singer, not the chicken guy, but the pitcher, and he's pitching. And you could, I could read his lips on the mound. He goes, curveball. I go, oh, he's still at a curve. I hope Andrew saw that. We well, laid off a curveball, ball four, walk, game over. We win. That's fine. You just can't do it electronically. And we'll see if, it, if that's as far as this thing goes. But it is a real stain, I think, on, on Houston's World Series. Um, you know, so we'll see. Well, both World Series. All right, some other news. Uh, and Luke Keekley retired, and I don't know if this is going to be more a trend that continues. But we got, saw it with Andrew Luck. We saw it with Gronkowski. These guys just don't want to do it anymore because 
physically the game is just taking a toll on them, and especially you feel like with Keekley, it was it was a mental thing where, look, I can't run as hard as I can and tackle you as hard as I can tackle you anymore because I'm afraid I'm I'm going to end up like you know Mike Webster or Junior Seau or somebody like that, and I I look. It's great if you've got the money. If you can financially do it, great. And he'll be – I'm sure he'll be on TV. You know, there's this big bidding war going on for Tony Romo. He may end up replacing him. And he'll be fine, right? I, I give a guy credit when he understands that, when he grasps the severity of it. Um, so we had that uh, this week. We also had uh, the, the odd – the oddest thing today was waking up and finding out Art Bryles is going to be the new coach at Missouri State. And you're about to rip Missouri State, and then they go, no, 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 it's Bobby Petrino. So we we were going to go bad, and we just went bad. We didn't we didn't go all the way bad. We didn't get a guy who fostered a culture of of uh, rape. We went with a guy who is a, one of the biggest scumbag jerks in the world. And he is. I can't stand Bobby Petrino. I'll be rooting against Missouri State. Until he gets another job somewhere else, uh, it's like a Pat Forty uh, pointed out on Twitter. Every team he has left, Petrino has res- has resulted in an apology of some kind. Not a fan, as you may may have uh, figured out from that. Uh, Joe Moorhead ends up at Oregon as offensive coordinator. I'll be interested to see how that works out. I mean, he wasn't a great offensive coordinator. He was good at Penn State. He went to Mississippi State, and it was just a disaster. It wasn't a good culture fit, as they all wanted to say. You know, it, it, it just didn't work out there. And it was a qu- it was like a, a bold hire anyway. Not, maybe not as bold as Mike Leach. But um, we'll see what he does at Oregon. And uh, we have this lawsuit now against Penn State and James Franklin that he kind of fostered a culture of hazing. I don't know how much of this is true. But the, what, what I think everybody got really um, frustrated, or I don't know, what's the right word, uh, freaked out about is when players were being told by other players on the team, I'm going to Sandusky you. And that, man, that is just way over the edge. Just to say it is way over the top. Okay? And we'll see where that goes. Again, I, I, I don't want to rush to judgment but I felt like it was worth mentioning. Um, also, this Hall of Fame thing, and I'll get to three things, I, I swear. This Hall of Fame thing, where they, they're letting a bunch of guys in, basically, because it's the 100th year of football. And Hero Carmichael got in, which I'm happy with. I met, I met Hero Carmichael. He was from Rains High, so when I was in Jacksonville, talked to him. First guy ever to wear number 17 to get into the Hall of Fame. Did you know that? You know, Steve Sable got in. That's great. Drew Pearson did not, and he was mad. If you've seen the video, he is really angry. Um, you know, I think he's a marginal guy, but I, I but it, it, the, the reason I bring it, even bring it up, because the Hall of Fame is kind of weird anyway in, in pro football. It's quite an honor, but it's, it's kind of weird the way they do it. Anyway, is it got me to thinking about why there aren't more people in the Florida Ring of Honor? And a lot of the restrictions that are put on it are because of this very thing. All right, if you say, look, we're just going to put a Gator grade in every year, and then all of a sudden guys keep getting their feelings hurt and they're angry and they don't want to, I don't know, I'm not going to any more Gator games because they don't get in for five or six years, that that was kind of the Jeremy Foley argument against just willy-nilly putting players in because they were great players and making it a criteria that was very restrictive. Now, I don't totally agree with that, but I see his side of it a little bit better after this. Anybody, you with me on that? Okay. I still think there are guys who need to be in the, in the ring of honor that I would put in. But I get what his argument against that was. Was if he's putting guys just because you think they were great players, you know, you're going to have people whose feelings hurt. Yeah, I... I think Lomas Brown should be in. I think, uh, personally, I think Carlos Alvarez should be in. But I think Percy Harvin should get in. But none of those guys ever has a chance of getting in. Anyway, 
All right, we have gone long enough here, haven't we? Let's do three things. It's time for three things. Number one, the NFL playoffs obviously were fairly entertaining, I thought, um, last weekend. I hope they're as good this weekend, but like I said, um, it uh, it's really – that's my favorite NFL weekend is that weekend last weekend where you had two games and two games and watched pretty much all of them. Although I did play, play golf, but I was done. I was done in time to watch them. Um, Kansas city and the Titans. I think I'm going to root for the Titans here mainly because of the tomahawk chop. I, I <laughs> that's enough right there. Although I love Pat Mahomes, uh, green Bay, San Francisco, I'll root for green Bay. I, I had Aaron Rodgers on my fantasy team about seven years ago when I played fantasy football, and I rooted for them so hard and him so hard that it kind of stayed with me the rest of my life. And so I'm, I'm kind of like a closet Packers fan, but it ought to be really interesting, and it's going to be definitely some a different Super Bowl that we're going to have. The, the Super Bowl, unlike something we've seen. Now, some of those teams have been in it before, but it's going to be different anyway. And I give a lot of credit to the Titans and Derrick Henry. What a beast. He is beast mode. All right, number two. Interesting to me that Florida softball, uh, according to the coaches' poll, and of course I don't think there's a writers' poll for the SEC, is picked fifth in the SEC. I don't know if that's happened since the days of Karen Johns. You know, when Tim Walton's been there, they've obviously people you pick them one, two, one, two, two, one. But it is, they did lose a lot. And you lose your two stars, Lorenz and Barnhill. I think people are very uncertain about where they are with pitching. But let me tell you what, don't ever sleep on a Tim Walton coach team. It's going to be interesting to see where they are. Meanwhile, baseball is getting crazy accolades. In fact, I saw, I think somebody has them fourth in the country uh, because of this freshman class. It's supposed to be unbelievable. Uh, Fires me up. I love going to college baseball games, and I love uh, covering them. So I'm ready for a little college baseball and the overlap of college basketball into college baseball and college softball. It's cool. Also, you know, men's tennis, they're playing today. You're probably, by the time you're listening to this, they're probably already playing. Five o'clock against number two, one versus two, Florida, Texas. Um, so that's cool, too. So and that's one – I've said it a million times, but I'll say it again – one thing I love about living in this town is this, the athletics are so great, and I'm a sports fan, and I like all sports. Couldn't be You couldn't live in a better place in terms of just being able to go watch high-level athletics. Finally, number three, Twitter has got to change their way of illustrating who is trending because when you put up there who is trending, you scare me a lot. Today, it was Pat Benatar, and I went, oh, no, Pat Benatar is gone. No, people were just mad because the quote, unquote, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and literally cannot use enough sarcastic quote marks around that. It is not a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It is a Hall of Fame for music. It's not a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Whitney Houston's going in, okay? It's not a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But people are mad that Pat Benatar got snubbed again. I totally agree. She... Was is unbelievable, was unbelievable. I'm a huge fan. Uh, promises in the dark. Come on, man. You should just get in just for that. Um, so, but every time, you know, I'll be on there and I'll go, oh, no, did he die? You have to go and look at it. And look. Oh, no, somebody, he just said something stupid or he just did this. Anyway. Pat Benatar belongs in a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And again, but it's not a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's it's basically done by people in the business who are have a, a vested interest in who gets in, not in who they think should get in. Okay? That's all I have to say about that. All right, that's going to do it. Thanks to Chris Dorn for coming on. I think we're going to get Mark Wise next week. We'll see if his schedule will allow it. And we'll be back with another Duly Noted Podcast. I appreciate your time. Until next time, this is Pat Dooley, sports columnist of the Gainesville Sun, saying I'm deep, I am way back, and I am out of here.
The Duly Noted Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. And by Vistar Credit Union with locations across Gator Country. Visit ViStarCU.org and ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. Always be celebrating. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.